Hey everyone, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined again in the studio by Pastor Mark, Pastor Eric, and we're talking about steps to recovery from addiction, whether porn addiction or drug addiction or alcohol, any kind of addiction at all. I guess you could be addicted to shopping, you could be addicted to sports. If you wanna have recovery, if you wanna have victory, we're talking through the 12 steps of AA. And today, guys, we're on step number five. And before we get to step five, it's rooted really in step four. It sort of comes out of, naturally flows out of step four, which was what we talked about last week, which was what? Taking a moral inventory, right? Right. Yeah. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory is what step four says. And it's really kind of digging into, you know, not just admitting our addiction, but admitting all of the, just the the really bad behaviors, the ways that we um, interact with people and things and, and just digging into just, you know, just to say it, digging into how messed up we really are. And, and so now we've kind of, we've dug all that up um, and we're ready to do something with it. And that's what step five is. Step five is now we're going to get that out. Okay. And so step five says we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. So we're going to take our, our moral inventory, and we've, we've kind of been admitting it to God because God hopefully was helping us through step four. Um, and as we're going through step four, we're, we're facing it ourselves. So really the biggest part of this step is admitting this to another human being. Yeah, and we'll spend a lot of time talking about that here toward the end of our time. But let's let's deal with that first one, admitting it to God. I would imagine someone out there might say, I don't want to admit this to God, because their picture of God is mm-hmm. that he's this cosmic killjoy, that he's going to be angry, he's going to be upset, he's never going to forgive me. And so, you know, we've made no secret about this. We're talking about recovery from the vantage point of biblical Christianity. So why don't we spend a little bit of time making sure people understand who God really is. Yeah, and I think this is very important because if we don't have a a right view of God, um, then how do we get rid of our our shame and our guilt? How can we be forgiven? Um, And so that's where this leads us to, is if we think God is is, just ready to judge everybody for everything they've done, which... In a sense, he is going to do that one day. But for now, we have the chance at free grace, free forgiveness, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And we've covered this in, a, in the last couple of steps, but just to, to rehash this, you know, God loves us so much that he sent his son to come down, to be like us, to suffer along with us, and then to die for us so that we could be forgiven. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. God wants to forgive us, and that is exactly what he does in sending his son down. You know, John 3, 16, the the most famous verse, right? Does anybody know that? I'm not going to say it, but I'm (laughs) testing you guys. Well, you've already said it, yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. But that verse is talking about believing in Jesus, and I, I could imagine a, an addict could be out there saying, well, it's I believe in God, and that's the problem. I believe in him, and but what I believe about him is that he's mean. What I believe about him is that he wants to zap me. 
maybe because you had a dad who was like that or a mom who was like that or some authority figure who was like that, and so your picture of God is has been sort of compiled over the years by the responses you've gotten from authority figures in your life, and maybe those haven't been great responses. So you have this picture of God that he's a mean, cosmic killjoy. And, and again, we want to tell you that that is not the biblical picture of God. One of my favorite Bible verses is 1 John chapter 1 in verse 9, and this is in the New Living Translation. Now, for those who are new to the Bible, 1 John is right toward the end of the Bible. It's, it's right before the book of Revelation, which is the, the last chapter in the, or the last book in the Bible. And in 1 John, John writes this. I love this. He says, if we confess our sins to him, which is what we're talking about today, right? First of all, you're going to confess it to God. The Bible says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. We could spend the rest of the hour talking about this wonderful mm-hmm. promise mm-hmm. from God's word, but but just sort of why don't we boil it down? What does this mean for the addict when he approaches God with his list of, of sins from his moral inventory? Well, it means exactly what it says. He's, he's faithful. We're not faithful, but God is faithful. And he's made these promises throughout his word that if we confess, if we if we turn to him, that he will forgive us. And so I think um, if we don't have, <clears throat> you know, like a, a right view of God, then then yeah, this is going to be a tough step. But that's why it's important for us to have a correct view of God, because he didn't, you know, send Jesus down to die and suffer in our place for nothing. You know, that was for something, and that means something. And, and it says that in, in Romans, it says no matter what we've done, right? Mm-hmm. It says if we confess and, and believe in Jesus, no matter who we are, we can be forgiven. And, and I just think if we really have put our trust in God, if we've really embraced you know, steps two and three and come to this, this faith and made that decision, that this, this step is going to be something that we'll be able to do and, and believe in. I would say if we're coming to this and we're struggling to confess to God because we we still feel like He's not going to forgive us, we probably need to go back to step two and and three again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Getting to the the reality about what the Bible does say about Jesus. That's step two. Step three is finally surrendering your will in life, having that moment of faith, believing what He said and what He has done for you is true, no matter how you feel. Right, mm-hmm. and so. Now we're at this point where um, we need to trust God that what he says he's going to do, and right here it's a promise, it's a pretty simple one. If you confess, he will forgive, you can take that to the bank, right? And so I think a lot of us, and, and here's the issue, is that in order to move past this step, right, this is why everything is in steps, um, we've got to get rid of some of the shame that we have lingering that maybe came out in our step for moral inventory, right? And shame in the past has caused us to go relapse and self-medicate. Mm. Yeah, we, we feel shameful, and then we get into this cycle of feeling guilty. And what do we do when we feel guilty? We use. And how do we feel when we use? We feel guilty. And so then what do mm. we do? We go use again, right? And you get stuck in this cycle, and this is to break that cycle and to really trust God. We got to get rid of the shame and guilt that causes us to keep 
going out and using again. And, and so hopefully we will receive and trust in this forgiveness that he promises when we confess. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because that verse, again, we could spend so much time on this verse. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. So you, like you said, Eric, you can take, take it to the bank. And he does two things for us. Number one, he forgives us. And again, some addicts maybe haven't really ever experienced forgiveness like what God gives. Maybe the forgiveness that they've experienced is sort of conditional. And, well, I, I forgive you, but but maybe you have a spouse or a parent or a kid or somebody, a friend, who just wants to kind of throw it back in your face the next time you screw up. But that's not the kind of forgiveness God gives us. You know, he talks about as far as the East mm. is from the West, which if you think about that, there's that was an that was a way to talk about infinity right there you can't measure the distance between east and west you really can't and so he's saying as far as the east is from the west the bible says so so has that's the distance that god has thrown your sin from him so that's the kind of forgiveness that we're talking about that some people maybe have never experienced but it's not just that he'll forgive us when we confess that's the first thing the second thing in that verse is that he'll cleanse us. And that's I think that's something that you guys have probably experienced, right? If you don't get past step four, you're not really going to, or step five, I guess, you're not really going to have victory because, like you said, this shame cycle is going to just keep you in bondage to your addiction. Mm-hmm. And that word cleanse just reminds me of what exactly you know, part of our goal is and what we're trying to do is to get clean and stay clean. And it's so cool that this says that he forgives us, then he cleanses us. And then with that, we're positionally clean with God. Now let's take that a step further and stay clean, right? And so Mm -hmm. how we're going to stay clean is to continually remember that we don't have to fall back into the shame, but we can Admit it to God. And I I think this, a lot of people struggle with, but you don't know what I've done, right? Yep. You don't know what I've done. Well, we've already talked about, you know, God already knows everything. He knows, you know, past, present, and future. He knows what's in our minds and our hearts. I mean, he knows everything. So the the reality is, is if we're not confessing things to God, he's, he's... He's not sitting there saying, man, I wish they would just tell me what's going on in their heart and their mind, and then I could help them. He's like, no, if they would just be real, as we talked about last time, they would just be real. I could I could get this up and out. I could clean them. I could set them on a new path. But I think the thing that keeps us from even wanting to admit it to God is because, you know, the next point then is admitting it to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. We're in denial sometimes, and we can't even admit it to God because we haven't even got to the place where we're ready to admit again that we have a problem. And this mirrors basically step one all over again, getting out of denial, mm-hmm. moving into reality, admitting that we have a problem. We're going to constantly be coming up against this test of humility. And yeah, and so getting uh, real with ourselves helps us to get real with God. Yeah, so that in the verse for that is just one verse in front of the verse we just read. So we just read 1 John 1 9 and 1 John 1 8. Man, this is so pertinent to the topic at hand, right? For addicts. It, it says this if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves 
and not living in the truth. Is that a is that a verse for a, for addiction or what? I mean, it's a verse for every human being, but it, it really does fit, especially people who have struggled with addiction. Yeah, well, I think this this connects the addict to the rest of humanity, right? Because addicts feel like, you know, no, there's there's no. I've done too much. I've I've done so much worse than anybody else. And you know what the Bible says is we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And if we claim otherwise. It says right here, we're, we're fooling ourselves, right? We're deceiving ourselves. And so I think these two um, confessions to God and confessions to ourselves, they really go hand in hand. You know, they kind of, they kind of almost are in sync with one another because <clears throat> as we go through step four, through our moral inventory, I think we're, we're, it's like we're writing it down and we're starting to see it. We're starting to see the real, I'm starting to see the real me as I'm documenting all this stuff and I'm going through it. And then I'm coming to this process of, wow, okay, so this is, this is the real me, this is who I've been, you know, and we're, we're, and we're telling it to God, who already knows, right? We've talked about He already knows everything. And so really, when we're not admitting to God, it's the same thing as we're not admitting it to ourselves either. We're just, we're trying to live in denial. Um, but like it says, you know, He already knows, everybody falls short, um, and, but he's faithful. He's faithful to forgive. If we'll just get it out there, we'll just open up about it, we'll just be real. It's really, it's the basis of a relationship is being real, being genuine, being honest. <clears throat> and so it's impossible for us to really grow this relationship with God if we're not going to be real. Yeah, and, you know, going back a little bit to talk about that crazy cycle, the shame cycle, the guilt cycle that causes us to keep going back into addiction— it's interesting to me that actually these verses, 1 John 8 and 9, and then if you look at 10, it almost is a reiteration of 8. And so it talks about, mm -hmm. you know, if we say we, we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us, but God is faithful and just to forgive us from all and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it goes on to again say, you know, if you say that you don't have a sin, or, or sin, if you're not a sinner, if you can't admit that you're a sinner, the truth is not in you, right? So it's like, and we talked about this in group a couple of weeks ago because we were going over this step, and it's almost like a sandwich, you know, of mm. sin and, and God, the good stuff's in the middle, <laughs> mm, <laughs> like yeah. an Oreo or something. But, but thinking of it like now the new cycle is based off of these verses, mm. instead of shame, using, shame, using, shame, now it's, admitting I'm a sinner, receiving grace, but falling again and sinning, but then going back and receiving grace again. It's the new cycle mm. that Christians ought to live in, which is constant humility and repentance. And part of repentance is confession, turning and, and, and following God and believing the truth about Him. So our new cycle then, instead of shame, use, shame, use, should now be admit our sin, receive forgiveness, but then admit our sin, admit our sin again, <laughs> yeah. because the reality is, is he's talking to Christians here, yeah. and and even Paul says it about it. You know, we we looked in in step one that he's still struggling in this flesh that he has. Why do I do what I do? Um, I don't want to do these things, but somehow I keep doing them. You know, the things that I hate. Well, we as Christians we're, are going to continuously sin and struggle, and that's where we need to keep going back to the source 
of grace, forgiveness, and cleansing. Yeah, and that's where that's where the cycle's broken is by what Jesus did, right? Mm. Because <clears throat> you know, while we were still sinners, mm. it says He died for us, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's that breaks that shame. He says, "No, there is no shame. I already, I already did this. I already paid for this mm. before you even came to me. Before you even wanted me, I already did this for you." And that right there, that's that love that breaks that shame cycle. Yeah, that's good. And but it is true that for I've never thought about this passage like this before, Eric. I like that. It's a it's a sin sandwich, or <laughs> maybe it's a confession sandwich, right? That because I, but it's because it's true for every for every human being. If you th- and I'm I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, so. So for me, it would be helpful for me to hear that I'm going to mess up again. Mm-hmm. And so so you can kind of almost expect it. I'm going to mess up again. Well, then what happens when I mess up again? He's faithful and just mm-hmm. to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so so we we don't have to fear the shame cycle anymore because, G, like you said, Mark, Jesus broke, he broke the cycle. He broke the curse because of his nature, because his nature is to be forgiving. His nature, he doesn't want to smite us. He doesn't want to wipe us out. He does, he's not just wait, happily waiting to destroy us. He, he gets great, his heart is to, is to free us. His heart is to help us. It says that Jesus said, my yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, and so the picture there is he's in the yoke with us, right? There are two oxen in, in the yoke, and he's the stronger oxen. That's what they would do is they would put the strong ox with the weak ox. And that's why his yoke is easy is because he's carrying the burden with you because he did the work on the cross already. And so for some people listening today, this is also new to them. That's why every week we keep emphasizing the gospel like you shared earlier, Eric, that that this is not some side issue, what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. This is the main issue. This is the thing that some people are missing, which is why that the higher power is, is the God of the Bible, not mm-hmm. just a light bulb above your head. Like The higher power is the God of the Bible. Why? Because this God forgives you, and this God has done everything needed in order to forgive you and set you free. Mm-hmm. And and that's why you know there's there's kind of a nuance to the idea of calling ourselves addicts, and I think we talked a little bit about this, but just being honest about our sin problem and our sin nature um, helps us to remember who we are and who God is. Um, we are, you know, sinful people that have been saved by grace and saved by the love of God, but I still am not perfect. And me remembering that I have a certain sin that draws me and pulls me away. You know, I have a certain temptation that others might not have in the world. Everybody in the world, as you said, this connects the addict to the whole, whole world because all of us are sinners. But I have a unique one that other people don't have that maybe I want to get loaded or or watch things and some people have self-control in that area but don't in others and so but we have to this is going back to the you know admitting it to ourselves admit who we really are we we have a weakness you know paul 
admitted that he had a weakness. You know, the thorn in the flesh story. He's like, I want this gone from me. Why am I like this? But God says, you know, my grace is sufficient for you, you know? And so we live with this weakness, and I'm okay with that. And he was okay with that. And we, as recovering addicts, should be okay with that we have a weakness when it comes to certain temptations. Admitting that more and more to ourselves is going to help us set the right boundaries in our lives as well. Yeah, in fact, you know, Paul Paul talked about he's he boasts in his weakness, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's where Christ's power is, you know, made even bigger. It's it's in our weakness and and so yeah, that's why you know we talked uh, a few weeks back about, you know, I don't claim to be an addict for, you know, to just wallow in that. For me, it's part of my testimony. It's like, this is what God did for somebody who who's done everything that I've done, um, ran as far from God as I as I possibly could, and then God still wanted to rescue me from that. I mean, that that to me that that's one of those things that really won me over to Jesus. Yeah, and I praise God for both of you being pastors at our church, because I, I just feel like it makes our church stronger that we've got some guys that have, have real experience in this, that have, have, that have actually experienced victory. And so I think it gives great hope to not just people listening to this today, but people that show up to your churches and, and hear you teach and see a transformed lives. And it should give hope because God is the God of hope. And it, you know, it strikes me that go ba- going back to this verse, 1 John 1, 9, the only person then that this doesn't apply to is the person who doesn't confess. That's why this step is so important. So if you if you want forgiveness, if you want to be cleansed from wickedness, you have to humble yourself and confess. God doesn't promise that to you unless you confess. That's why this is so important. This step is so important. So confess it to God. Confess it to yourself. Be honest with yourself. But this third one's really important as well, and we want to spend a little time on this because I think this is where the rubber meets the road. The third part of this step is to confess it to someone else. Now, typically in AA, they would would that would that typically be a sponsor? You'd be confessing this. You'd be actually sitting down with a sponsor. Um, we, we would use the word mentor with a mentor and actually say, "Here it is. Here's my here's my list. Here's my moral inventory." And I'm going to put it all on the table. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's that's typically how it works. Um, you know, in in the secular secular groups, but in our groups as well. And and we, um, you know, at, at Alpine Church, we 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 use the word mentor. It's pretty much the same as a sponsor, but we you know we have mentors for people in all walks of life, not just addicts. Um, so that's what we would call it. But yeah, there's there's something important here about admitting to another human being, about getting this out there. We've gone through and we've, we've looked at everything we've done. We've admitted to God and to ourself. Now we need to really, we've humbled ourselves before God. Now we need to humble ourselves before, you know, people around us as well. And there's something powerful about this. There's something freeing about getting our secrets out. In fact, we they say in AA a lot, you know, our secrets keep you sick, and they really do. They're, they're part of the shame. You know, we talk about that shame cycle that was broken. When that's really broken is when we're really ready to make this, this step, take this step, because um, shame is what prevents us from being willing to confess our sins 
to one another, which we're told in the Bible to do, to confess to one another. Um, and so there, there is a, a huge thing with this. And, and for me, um, this kind of came in steps, in, in waves. You know, I, I really, I didn't really embrace this completely the first time around. And it's actually what ended up pulling me back into my addiction was that I didn't get it all out. I didn't confess all of it. Hmm. Um, and so when I really, really hit rock bottom and I came to the place where I was desperate enough and I really started going through these steps, that's where I came out with everything. I unloaded all of it. And there's never been a more freeing point in, and a more <laughs> scary point hmm. in my life than that. But, but it, was, it was so freeing. Yeah. Yeah, there's something interesting about the idea of confessing to another person, talking to another person, getting your stuff up and out to a tangible person. That's the scary part of the this entire lesson, I think, um, because to God and to yourself, okay, that's an internal battle, and you know, God is is through prayer, and but then you get to this tangible person part, and you're wondering, you know, what do they think about you? Uh, you're you're worried about. Um, what is this going to do if I reveal my... Are they going to tell on me? Are they going to tell other people? Uh, are they going to just slam the door in my face and not give me time or attention? And the reality is, and we're going to get to talking about how to pick the right mentor then. Um, but before we do that, I just want to say uh, it's interesting to think back, and I don't even know the history. You might, Brian, because your wife's a counselor, but the history of how long um, the profession of of a psychologist or whatever or counseling, you know, one thing that's always fascinated me, I've always wanted one of those weird-looking couches, you know, you see in the movies that people lay on. <laughs> the, and chaise, they, the, yeah, chaise the chaise lounge. The chaise yeah. thing, and they, they, they go into this office, the guy or the gal lays on that thing, and then they, like, they're asked questions by the counselor, and then they just reveal all... We need to get one of those here, maybe or something. I mean, what is with that, really? So what you let me see. Let me see if I can hear what you're saying. So Eric, you're saying, uh, if I'm reading between the lines, that if people were were better at confessing their sins to pe to just regular people in their life, that maybe that profession wouldn't even exist. Well, yeah, that's probably true. But since yeah, since that. Uh, we can't do it, then we've got to pay people that we think that as, as long as they take our money, they can't judge us because they're, <laughs> right. they're getting paid for it. So, Well, but no, that is that does kind of come to the question of who should I confess this to? Because when you, you know, Mark, when you shared this, what this was like for you, I'm thinking, man, does that put pressure on the person who's hearing your confession? Does that is that person supposed to give you counsel back or are they just listening to your confession, because they might not know what to say to it, right? Yeah. No, I, I think that somebody who's experienced in this is who you're looking for, because really the purpose of this, it's not it's not really to counsel. It's not to give advice back. It's really just to listen, because the purpose of this step is to break free of those secrets. It's to break those the secrecy chains that you're wearing. Yeah, so you're not when you're when you're doing this, it's not a counseling session. You're not asking for them to give feedback on it. No. You're just unburdening your soul, so to speak. Exactly. And and just letting it all hang out. Right. Yeah. 
And again, that has been a historical uh, thing that has been portrayed by the media, by different religions even practice this, right? You know, you have a place where you can go into some kind of a box-looking thing and confess. Catholic confessional? I haven't done that either. I I, I need to go to that, and I also need one of those chairs. I mean, that would be awesome. We need to get you a chaise lounge and a... And a bo- and a confessional box, whatever <laughs> they call that. Yeah, that would be cool, but I, you know, it's a strange Christmas list. Eric. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, so for you, Mark, when you did this, uh, you said when you first did it, you weren't completely honest. No. <clears throat> well, and for me, it's you know, I had to do this with my wife because she was the one who. Um, was the victim of, of my sexual addiction, a sexual addiction. Um, and so, yeah, the first time, the first time I really did this, I admitted as much as I could without feeling like it was going to be the end of it all. There were, there were a few things that I, that I held on to that I knew if I told her that was going to be it, there's no way. And I thought I could, I could just carry on, right? That those things could just be dead and buried and they'd never resurface and I could go on and live this life. But man, no, those secrets, they just weighed on me. They weighed on me. And that, sh- and when I, you have secrets, you have shame. And so eventually I fell back into my addiction. And so when I did that um, and I was just so lost and broken that I wanted nothing to do with secrets anymore, I didn't want to live this life anymore, and I was willing to to do whatever it took. I was willing to tell tell her everything, even knowing that there's no way she could take that. There's no way she could forgive that. Um, but I had to. I knew that I had to for my own soul. Like I just I couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't. I knew that my relationship with God was not going to be where it needed to be, and it and it was it was killing me. So what was the end of that story? How did your wife respond to the full weight of those secrets? It was it was rough. Um, I, you know, I, I confessed to an infidelity, and knowing that there was no way she was going to be able to get over that, and she knew that. I knew that. She she didn't even really say much. She just left. Um, went and slept in another room. I was planning to pack my bags the next morning um, and leave because I knew that that's what she was going to want. Um, I just I just prayed. I spent hours and hours praying, and gratefully, she was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And in the other room, God was just, man, he was just building her up her broken heart. He was just kind of holding it back together and giving her the strength to come in and forgive me. And it was just, uh, to this day, I, I there's no greater miracle I've experienced than that. You know, that, that kind of is a great story. Um, and a lot of us, you know, have experienced stories where we were afraid to share what we were going to share to the person. And that, that's kind of making amends, which we'll get to in some later steps. But we're afraid to share some things because... We're worried about the outcome. Thank God that your wife was a Christian, you know, mm-hmm. so that she yeah. knew that 
the our God is a forgiving God, and that was probably a lot that had to do of 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 her conviction to forgive you. And so that's awesome. That reminds me of of James chapter five verse sixteen. Um, that applies to this very point here, that kind of commands us then. And he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And, you know, for you, it sounds like that that was part of your journey is confessing to her as a fellow believer. And you guys were praying and she was praying for you and praying for herself. But this also applies to us as we're trying to pick a mentor then. Pick a sponsor, pick a mentor, is pick someone that we're willing to ask uh, for prayer for ourselves even, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mark, would you say, would you, you know, for someone who's listening who has, they're just a little bit further back on the road from you and they're, they're really starting to think about, oh, uh, they're probably breaking out in sweats right now thinking about confessing this to their spouse, would you recommend that your spouse is the one, is the first confidant, the first mentor that you tell all to, or is there someone else that would be better just as a general rule? Yeah, I, w- I would say, you know, my experience was probably the exception to mm-hmm. the rule. Uh, I-, I think for the most part, because it did, like like Eric was talking about, this this goes into step nine of making amends. Um, and so they kind of went hand in hand there. Um, but yeah, this is, this is something that you need somebody who's going to be a trusted individual who's willing to just listen because this, the point of this step is to get it out there. Um, now there will be a time where we come to the step where we need to make amends Mm -hmm. and that's going to be, that's going to be frightening in itself. But, but no, I, it's, it's going to be a case by case basis. You know, you're going to need to really seek some wisdom in in who and how you're going to get this stuff out there. So no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that your spouse if you've had an infidelity, um I wouldn't say your spouse m- maybe would be the first person that you open up to about it. They might be. Um but that's going to like I said that's going to take some wisdom. Um I I would seek counsel from a few people and 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 do a lot of praying to God about it. Yeah, and I would imagine for some spouses, they don't really, it, it might not be helpful for them to have all the gory details. I know that for Tracy and I, when we've worked with couples in dealing with infidelity, we we usually encourage the, the, uh, the person who stepped out on the marriage to tell all to somebody, and that the spouse knows that somebody knows everything. Because I think that's part of building trust mm-hmm. up. Right. Yeah. But not every spouse probably can handle that. Can handle all the details. Right. Um, but but it, it's helpful to know that there's someone and that and what I would say on t- I mean you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here but we also say is is that the the spouse needs to know who that confidant is and that spouse can ask the confidant has that person's number can ask them anything. There's no secrets there but it kind of puts it a little bit more in the spouse in the the offended spouse, it puts it more in her hands to know what she's really ready, he or she or he or is really ready for. Would you say that that would be a smart step in this particular area? I would think for this instance, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, this would this would be a, a different kind of circumstance than, you know, a sponsor for other addictions, maybe. I don't know, Eric, what would you say with with the, another addiction? No, no, I would say, I mean, 
in a, in a situation where my spouse was, you know, relapsing and I had to call her sponsor and say, you know, what's going on and, and talk about it. And we had to kind of develop a plan together, mm-hmm. but that's because I had a lot of, you know, I have a background in addiction and stuff as well, but, um, there are certain things that should be kept confidential and only if um, the person that's confessing is willing to, to give it, then, then you could say to your, your mentor or sponsor, okay, you can share that. But again, finding a, a mentor that can be trusted is going to make it easier for the person to be able to confess all the things that they have, right? Um, and even us, right, as pastors, we kind of have a rule. Um, we don't necessarily share, we don't share people's things that they, they confess to us, right? And there's a, like one exception to that rule is that if, if someone's in immediate danger and there's, you know, abuse involved or whatever, but with a mentor, um, they probably have the same the the same accountability if some if they hear something like like that right if someone's in immediate danger somebody's you know could be physically hurt or whatever then they've got to do something but ultimately we do want to find someone um, that understands the story first of first and foremost that's why we should find someone that's been through what we've been through mm. because then they can. First, not be shocked by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I tell people all the time, like you can, you can say whatever you want to me, but uh, there's a good chance that I've probably done a lot more worse things than you have, <laughs> <laughs> and that's oftentimes how I get people to warm up, like in groups or in one-on-one mentoring or counseling. So you don't need the chaise lounge. You don't need the fancy. Ouch. <laughs> well, not anymore. Not anymore. I, I mean, I <laughs> still, still want, wants it. <laughs> I still want to do it. I mean, I still, I confess regularly to p- God, myself, and other human beings. <laughs> yeah. I just like to do it from a couch every once in a while. <laughs> you just want to be a little more comfortable. <laughs> or in a box, you know? But, but no, I, this is, I was going to say this actually too, is this is why probably when you meet recovering addicts that they seem like they don't have a filter. they seem like they're just willing to share all and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable because we know that confessing is better than holding it in right Mm -hmm. and so we've gotten to this point where it's like well i don't care what anybody thinks about me anymore you know i'm gonna share because number one god thinks the world of me he died for me and he loves me uh so who cares what everybody else thinks but number two if i keep this in um then i could stay sick and so we've gotten used to confessing, probably sometimes to the wrong people at the wrong time, and <laughs> we, could, we could learn to uh, get, get better at that. But um, in, in, as we're talking about finding a mentor, this is, again, the, this is the step where we're saying, if you don't have one, you should find one. Mm-hmm. At your local church, Christian, Bible-believing church, um, you should find someone that has gone through some of the same things that you've gone through, but they have more time than you clean, and they've they've you see the power of God working in their lives, and they've been transformed. Find someone that has what you want um, in a lifestyle and in the victory in the same category of sin that you struggled with. That's going to be the best case scenario to find a mentor like that. 
-hmm. Yeah, this is something I've, I've asked you guys before. I want to hear your answer again. But it, is it, you know, you say that. So I haven't had an addiction. I haven't had an addiction like you have, Eric. So is it is it true, do you think, from your perspective, is it true that I would not be a good mentor for you in the area of addiction? Yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's a lot of things that you do understand. I mean, biblically, you know, you can you can understand just the the nature of man and and sin and all that type of stuff, but uh and 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 you would be a a good mentor, you know, on the backup or just one of many mentors. Right. Because I also believe, you know, the Bible says that in the abundance of counselors, mm -hmm there is victory. Right. Right. And so, um, but finding a particular one that can relate to you is going to be the best start um, on your road to recovery. But having multiple people, people that can teach you about the Bible, people that can teach you about marriage and, and other practical things in your life where, where you would be a good mentor to that. But as far as taking someone through the steps and calling people out and uh, stuff like that, I think you need to find someone who is a recovering addict. And I, there's something that's said a lot in like secular meetings and, you know, this mysterious ability that us addicts or recovering addicts have that I know that I have. Um, and I don't know, I don't think it's necessarily anything spiritual, but people call it a sixth sense. Um, like I can just tell that, I can I can kind of almost predict when a person's going to relapse, hmm. but I can certainly tell. I can just go walking around, you know, in my city or in the grocery store or whatever, and I can pick out people that are using, you know, that might be on something or are in the middle, uh, in between, getting clean and sober. It's just this weird thing that I can look around and I can I can tell. I don't know. Maybe it's called a BS meter or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I can just tell. Um, when people are using and that type of person that can call you out because that's a lot of what we're going to need eventually is to be like reminded of hey you're not being truthful to this idea that you're a sinner so i'm gonna have to remind you <laughs> you know yeah yeah i think it's like <laughs> you called it a bs meter i, <laughs> I think it's true i you know I, I can tell in my group when when new people come i can almost tell instantly if they're being real or not, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, I can just tell, you can see that level of vulnerability and desperation and you can tell when it's not there. You can mm. tell when they're, they're just putting up a complete front. Uh, and yeah, I think it is. It's just something because we've done it because we've tried to pull the wool over people's eyes. We've tried to manipulate and lie our way out of everything. We're just, we're experts at it. So <laughs> you want an expert to, to solve a, a problem. Well, and I think that's helpful to hear. I, you know, I, I was naive years ago in ministry. I just thought, oh, I could help anyone. I could help an addict. And I, I learned pretty quickly that I don't, I, you know, I would take it at face value if an addict said, no, no, they're doing great. I would take it at face value. And I remember a, a, an old friend who who sat down with me with a guy who was struggling with addiction and his interaction with this guy was so different than mine. And I, I said to him afterward, I said, John, how did you, why were you so straightforward and blunt and rude? And, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he was like, he, cause he was lying. 
And he totally, <laughs> he had that sixth sense you're talking about, and I didn't at all have that kind of discernment with this guy. And and John was right. John was, he was dead on. And he helped that guy to victory. That guy is still living in victory today. And I thank God for John's influence in his life, because if it was just up to me, uh, I don't think I could have really helped him. And I think it's important for people to hear that. So if you're listening right now and you're, now I think you could probably confess to someone who might not eventually be your mentor, right? Is yeah. that true? Well, yeah. And I think, you know, you talk about being, you, you can pastor somebody, right. you know, who's su- str- struggling with an addiction. You can you can lead that person to salvation, right? Right, right. Um, but as far as really solving the issue of addiction, I mean, there's only so much you're going to be able to do yeah. without having some um, experience there. Yeah, which I, which we'll talk about more later because that's part, that's the... That's the, the bright side of this as well. That means that people like you have a real calling on your life to help people, and it's part of your healing as well to help somebody else. We're going to get all into all that as we continue on in our Steps of Recovery series. So let's read it one more time. Step number five to recovery. Mark, what is it? We admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Hey, I'm feeling a little bit convicted before we end here. I just need to reiterate that BS actually stands for bull sauce. We're not <laughs> we're not promoting any swear words or language. We're we're trying to get holier here, just so you guys know. Thank you for that confession. Yeah. Right there, Eric. That was good. Uh, so anyway, uh, if you want if you're listening and you want to use these resources in a 12 steps group or with a mentor or with a family member, we encourage you to check it all out at pursuegod.org forward slash recovery. This was step number five and join us next week as we talk about step number six. Mm -hmm.